Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. Man, can you believe 2023 is nearly done? Matter of fact, we only got, what, two weeks left? On today's show, Bradley Summer has written a book called Extinction, and I am crazy about this book. It's just one of those special books out of nowhere that you go, wow, it's delicious. So, I'll tell you why. Without any further ado, let's just get on to the green room right here on The Thriller Zone. Excited! I hadn't hit record yet, so now that all all that good, warm, fuzzy preliminary bullshit is just in our imagination. Well, I think we're done. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Okay. Listen. Have a good time, now, everybody. <laughs> no, no, won't let you off that easy. Oh, see, this is what happens when you start off using new software that you don't use every day and you're sitting and you glance down and you're, 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 you're knee deep in this great conversation. You glance down. You're a professional, by the way. You glance down, you see the big red record button hasn't been clicked yet. And you go, your interior voice goes, you're such a dumbass. Um, and then you just smile and keep going because it's, it is what it is. Would have fooled me. It's all good. All right. All right, all right. So, folks, here's what you missed. We we, we missed getting our makeup done and our lighting done. Um, Hair. We learned about Canada. Uh, Bradley Summer, who we'll be talking about today. I'm going to call you Brad because I think Isabella told me that that was the cool way to do I it. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So we're going to dive into extinction uh, here in a minute, but uh, we do want to say that we both love. He loves California as much as I love Canada. Just getting you caught up. Yeah, fantastic place. All the microbreweries touring around, just beautiful countryside, amazing people. Yeah. Can't complain. No, it's it's a pretty, you know, I have a lot of friends who give me so much grief about, oh, you live in California. Well, you know, it's going to slide off into the ocean. I've only heard that since I was in junior high school. <laughs> and uh, so many people and the gas is so expensive. I'm like, yeah, but it's perfect kind of every day yeah the sunshine it's like it's it's uh zero degrees fahrenheit outside right now here so that's that's not beach weather and i'm sure you could wander up the street and hit the beach so uh we are 1.1 miles from the beach not to nice. rub it in. Nah, yeah as you don't as you don't yeah um i do I do have to say, though, that there is something about when you grow up in the elements and having done radio shows around the country and lived in climates that were challenging, like Canada, you do force yourself to um, uh, to adapt. It's I mean, one of the coldest winters I ever in, in, uh, enjoyed was in Toronto and Oh my God, it was wicked cold. But you know, you you say to yourself, "Well, you just you adapt and you get stronger by and you move on." Whereas here, it's perfect every day. So if a little chilly breeze comes in, you're like, "Oh, <laughs> Mama, get me the park." You know? <laughs> I'm heading to the basement to hide out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I think, I think uh, you know, I've I've been here for uh, when we were chatting there. I'm saying 40 years. 
Yeah. And the grand scheme of things is, is I, I did used to despise winter. Uh, but then I got a good coat and learned to, uh, you know, get the snowshoes on and go uh, cross country skiing, what have you. Uh, and you just do it because it's going to be, otherwise it's half a year of your life every year that you're sitting in the house and despising it. So yeah, makes you do have great, to jump in. Makes for great writing though, doesn't it? It does. The settings are, are phenomenal. And, in, and I live in Calgary, so we're an hour from the mountains at most. So, you know, during the COVID lockdowns and all that kind of stuff, it was very easy just to jump in the car and within minutes you're in the middle of nowhere mm. with nobody around and enjoying it. So, And that's one of the things that I liked about this book is it in, instantly um, drops you into this world that many of us don't live in. And makes you aware of it, it made me so many things rush to my mind. And that is what a puss I am. Cause I thought if I was all of a sudden out <laughs> in the middle of nowhere and there was, you know, say a bear or something around, I'm like, oh! um, survival, uh, making fires and all that stuff. Um, anyway, that's, um, uh, it, it challenges your thought. Now, here's a couple of things. I'm going to start off by this. You can you can tell when you pick up this book that it's from Blackstone Publishing. Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous production. Yep. They do not know how to make an ugly book. They don't. It's true. It's true. When I first saw that, that one came to me a little bit late. So I actually had a friend. Uh, she's got a friend in a bookstore, so she got her hands on an early copy and was sending pictures and the the glossy parts of the cover. Oh yeah. Just the cover overall is just mind blowing. And I actually have it up on the wall. I had it made into a, uh, a piece of art. So you have to, uh, matter of fact, I, I'm going to, I'm going to sound a little foolish here, but I, get used to it. It happens all the time. Um, I think I was running across, uh, I, I speak to a lot of different publishing companies on any given week because I'm always looking for new writers to discover or they're reaching out to me and being a huge fan of Blackstone, thanks to my good friend, Rick Blywis. Um, I was given entree to a list of upcoming people. And this book caught my eye before anything. And I said, okay, I don't know who did that cover, but Jesus, that's beautiful. So I started digging down on it. And while it's not classically thriller, it's more fiction, adventure, danger, so forth. Um, I knew that it was going to hold the story that was going to comp be compelling. Then you start reading these blurbs and you're just like, you're I got to get a piece of that. Uh, Mike Topping is the artist who did the cover. So because half of this is a podcast, we can hold the cover up and, and your listeners can see it through their ears. But the grand scheme is it's it's a, it's a grizzly bear standing upright. And then if you turn it sideways, it's, it's this gorgeous technicolor uh, forest scape. And in that, actually, if you start digging in, there's actually little bits of the story element that are, are uh, woven into that image as well. So absolutely gorgeous. That's the cover. This book was originally picked up in uh, in the UK with HarperCollins. And uh, that's actually the cover uh, is coming from them. Wow. And so when Blackstone picked it up, and uh, it's been an amazing experience with Blackstone. They're an amazing, amazing press. Um, they send you this questionnaire and it's an author intake questionnaire. And one of the questions on it was, you know, how do you picture the cover? And I, I seriously couldn't think of a better one than the one that, uh, that Mike Topping did up there. So, so they very, very kindly went with that. And I think it looks amazing. And they, yeah. they did do an amazing job on the book itself too. 
Well, yeah, and the quality of – I'm a fanatic, as my listeners know. I'm a fanatic for paper, and this paper yeah. is like stationary. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. crane stationary paper, if you're familiar with that. Absolutely um, gorgeous. Yeah, and the inside flap, that must be like a 200-pound count paper. So anyway, my point – and yeah. I'm, go, I'm going <laughs> to geek out on that. Thank you for bringing <laughs> to the attention that I dropped, and that was it. But see, I'm always thinking about this. I put this podcast on the air and I also have video. So I sometimes yeah. just lose track of that. But yeah, again, hold it sideways. You get a whole different world, but it's just friggin' gorgeous. But I think too, you know, you were mentioning how it's not a, a traditional type thriller. And I think that's one thing that your podcast does very well. And this is going to be me geeking out for a bit because I've been listening to, to the past, what, 110 episodes now? Oh, you and, did do uh, your homework. Oh, I sure did. And the grand scheme, though, is you're doing a great job of showing the breadth of what a thriller can be. Because it's not just the domestic thriller or a, you know, police procedural, what have you. Um, you know, you're covering the whole gamut from, you know, the domestic all the way to this, which is, you know, near future, futurist kind of thriller. So, Well, thank you for acknowledging that. I appreciate that, Brad. And and to that point, that is part of what 2023 is going to be about. It, it, you awesome. know, it's, it's, it's been, it's been uh, classically, you know, our classic thriller political, police procedural, et cetera. Right. But, and I've, I started kind of letting the seams out a little bit here at the end of the year, but in 23, I'm just going to blow the doors off and blow wide open. Yeah. I don't care if it's romantic thriller, space cowboy thriller, if it's thrilling. Yeah. And it's chilling. We're going to be reading. I can't get any cooler than that. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, the, the first two were good there. Yeah, my dark white factor just kicked in. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's the, the point is, uh, and, 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 you know, I'm going to, little disclaimer here, I'm going to pull the reins back a wee bit because I was trying to do two a week, and that's just my number. When you're also writing, you know? Yeah, because – yeah, you got your own writing going on, but you're doing voice work as well, right? And so the grand scheme of things is I, I, there's a, 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 it's like a writing school just up the street from me. And I, part of this book was actually written there as a, as a writer in residence. Uh, it's a phenomenal place. You know, it's, it's just basically in three open classrooms in this old historic structure, a big old sandstone school. Um, and, there's people there all the time and you wander in and they have workshops and all this, but anyhow, to the point, um, when I was teaching there, uh, you spend so much effort on other people's work. You quite often wind up neglecting your own. So if you're doing a weekly podcast, I imagine, cause you have to do the background research on the person, read the book itself, formulate the questions on and on. It's probably just a ton of work. So <laughs> yeah. uh, between us girls, my wife will pull me aside every once in a while. <laughs> And say, uh, I love your podcast, honey. I really do. It's go it's gorgeous. It's fun. It's professional. <laughs> hey, how's that book of yours coming? <laughs> I was waiting for the dot dot dot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that book of yours coming? Yeah. Um. Uh, uh, yeah, but um, it's yeah, it's coming. It's coming. So to that point, since hmm. I went around the bend to that is uh, so while we're gonna broaden the range, we're gonna pull in the volume a little bit. So yeah. Uh, 
But one thing I love, and, and you're the you're the quintessential example of this, is when I can get on and talk to somebody, having done radio for 25 years, get on yeah. and, and meet a dynamic personality like yourself and, and instantly go, okay, we can talk about anything here because let's face it, Brad. Yeah, you're trying to sell a book. Of course, we're all, you know, we're all pushing something. But man, if I can get inside your head and just get to know you as a person, which is infinitely... Uh, I'll, I'll admit more thrilling than the book and the book is yeah. pretty thrilling. Then it, everybody wins, right? It's true. It's true. No. And, and yeah, you know, I, we're all here to chat about the books and what have you, but um, the connections made are very, very important as well. With my previous book, I uh, went off to the winter Institute. So for those not familiar, that's just, it's a gathering that happens every year with independent booksellers and they get together and they talk about how to keep the independent book world going and all the latest titles coming out. And it was more about hanging out with everybody than it was about the books. And it was fantastic for both reasons, of course, but. It's funny. You should say that because Chris Hottie and I were talking, we were at the thriller fest back in uh, June, July in New York. And we were, you know, we attended several of the functions cause we go there for that. However, we said the real magic is over the cocktails in the lounge because yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not the, the cocktails are not the magic, although they certainly enhance it, but they, that, that's that, that camaraderie and, 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 and brainstorming and just networking. That's the magic. You know? Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, I think there's a bit of a misconception that the, the writerly life is a very solitary one, but it's not if you choose to reach out because there's a ton of people that, you know, like with any, any artistic form, uh, you can geek out for hours and off you go, you're having a great time. So yeah, totally agree. All right. Let me do a little bit of backstory folks. Uh, Br Brad is not, this is not it, not one trick pony. And when you start reading this, you'll realize that very quickly, which I'll have a few points about here in a second. But two other books he's written. One is called, uh, it's a dark and witty book called Imperfections, which is uh, meddling the boundaries of uh, beautiful and grotesque and blurs the hilarious and the horrific, which <laughs> uh, I'm not going to drill down that because we could spend hours on it. But that one, that one got my attention. But what got my attention, I'm watching your book trailer for your follow-up uh, fishbowl and the book trailer is genius. It's right off Madison Avenue. It's a tale yep. told through the lens of a goldfish named Ian as he's falling from the 27th floor balcony of an apartment building. Yeah. Peeking in the windows as he goes down. So Holy, <laughs> I mean, like where that comes from, I'm not going to say, uh, Brad, where do you get your ideas? <laughs> Um. <laughs> yeah, well, with the first one, Imperfections, that starts off with a, a fellow in the trunk of a car with no arms and no legs, and it goes from there. Um, and then the second one, yeah, is Ian the Goldfish falling off a high rise. So with the first one, I, I, you know, it's an exploration. And I always do start the books with, uh, I want a central idea that you can basically stick into one sentence and then figure out the most interesting way to tell that. So with imperfections, it's, you know, walking the line of, of beauty culture and actual psychological happiness with fishbowl. The whole idea was, uh, can I tell an entire life story in the 30 seconds that it takes the goldfish to fall down the building? And you can, you just have to pull it from everybody else, which kind of brings the theme of that one in, which is, you know, we don't live our own lives. We live everybody else's life together. And then, you know, extinction was how can we, 
how can we write a uh, a story which kind of encapsulates all of the crazy climate uh, mayhem that's going on right now, but also our sociological side of things? Uh, how can we take that entire story and uh, make it as simple as possible, which is where it comes down to a bear, a ranger, and the people who are hunting the bear. So. Yeah. And that sounds infinitely simple when you say it that way. Now, the beauty yeah. is that you just condensed it to that singular sentence, which is a great elevator pitch. However, it's so much deeper, richer than that. And I start... Here's what I like about it. There's a couple of bullet points I want to throw at you. What I love is you start out thinking it's one thing, which you're not even fully aware of it being, and then it becomes something else. Now, that in and of itself is not the easiest thing to do, you know, no. because we, we've we gotten so savvy as readers. Everybody's throwing all the tricks, and I'm going to use this reference, and I mean it in the best way. Attorneys, please pay attention. Um <laughs> You know, everybody wants the next, the, the next gone girl. Oh, it's, yeah. you know, or fill in the blank. I always get that one because if you've been alive in the last couple of years, you've probably read that book. Of course. Yeah. Girl on the train, what have you. Yeah. Girl on the train was my next one. Yep. So anyway, my point being, uh, they're all looking for that, you know, that trick that makes you think one thing. Sometimes you just have good old fashioned storytelling. Wait, yeah. I know. Stop and absorb that a moment, Brad. <laughs> it's novel, pun intended. Yeah. It's just storytelling. Yeah, and and with that, like uh, you can you can. I think we've become so savvy, we're anticipating the tricks now. Yes, and so the grand scheme of things is, uh, I think the trick in this one is you take it back and 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 you just with this one, it's just this traditional thriller, thriller drive to the story. It, it starts with, you know, a situation that's kind of interesting that the, your reader is thrown in and then each step of the way, you just ramp it up one extra step of, of tension. And then by the end, you're, you're going 150 miles an hour. Uh, it wasn't, it, there was some pushback to that from the original editor. And uh, what that original editor was trying to do was throw you into the action right away. And you don't get into the action in this one right away. No. Um, in storytelling, it's called bridging tension, where you start off with, you know, an interesting concept and you try and keep that tension ramped up just through the concept. Um, but I think what we've fallen into and, you know, the tricks of the trade are we are consistently seeing you're thrown into the action right away. And this is with, with books and with novels, with, sorry, with uh, movies as well. You know, you're thrown into the action right away. And then your storyteller tries to reverse engineer meaning into that action. So you've gotten your, your viewer or your reader all amped up. Yep. And they're they're flying away on this awesome adrenaline rush. And then, you know, the story crashes because you can't keep that up all the time. No. And then you're constantly trying to reverse engineer meaning into it. And the more traditional way to do it is you create meaning and then you endanger that meaning, which is what I was doing with this book. So, Well, mission accomplished. And Thanks. yeah, and the thing that I like is the one thing that you do here that I've always appreciated, <clears throat> excuse me, is that. You make me, uh, you could use the phrase, I fall in love with the character. You make me appreciate and respect the world that he lives in and came from. And you don't know what he lives in uh, instantly. And you don't know exactly where he came from instantly. 
you have glimpses, but the backstory is peeled away like a, a like a rose, and there you go. Oh, there's another petal, another petal. But the, I think the the thing that I like the most, and I got a really specific point here, is that the book nearly because of your craftsmanship nearly reads like poetry. It has this literary heft. And, and I'm going to be honest with you here, back to your previous point, I read a lot of books and I read a lot of books fast. And I'm, I have gotten accustomed to and slightly addicted to those drop you in the crashing, mm -hmm. instigating uh, moment. And then you're off and running. You can't expect that from this. You don't, you, you think you want that. But as you get into it, you don't want that. Here's why. So uh, this is one of those books, and this is so funny for me to say because I'm such a devourer of books, is that you don't want to rush this book. And my wife stopped me over the weekend. She, she, you know, she'll come in and peek when I'm reading, and she's like, oh, you're reading yeah. Brad's book. Well, how is it? I'm like, oh, babe, it is so good, and here's why. We just got back from um, – Tahoe a couple of weeks ago where they had just had a monster amount of snow dumped on them. And right. We get no snow here. So it was really kind of cool. <laughs> so we dig in plenty of snow, fantastic estate we're in an amazing view, a roaring fire. And I'm like, this is the kind of book you want on that weekend where you just want to go. I don't have to do anything. I can just kick back, move slow and enjoy this like a vintage beverage. Well, that's very kind of you to say. And it, it, the, to get the language that tight, that took a more work than just writing forever. And, and, you know, you could have sit there and could have sat there and made it a hundred thousand words long. It's just ticks in over 70,000. But the final edit that I did do was go through and look for the specific words to try and reduce the count and, you know, to, to get rid of any of the superfluous fluffy language that, that is fine in, in other books, but it just didn't feel like the right voice for this one. So. Well, it's funny you should use the word fluffy because a lot of times I'm reading books that is chock full of nothing but fluffiness where I just <laughs> go, it's like eating meringue without the pot. I'm like, give me something to chew on, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, uh, I have to admit too, I did, uh, I I've got a pretty hefty vocabulary. Uh, thanks to my mother, who was uh, an insatiable reader herself and made us do a little exercise whenever when, when I was growing up. I think my sister has it. We had one of these. Uh, oh, God. Oh, what was the name of the dictionary? It's about this thick. Yeah. Uh, web. Uh, doesn't matter. Well, uh, yeah, the Oxford has like a full English dictionary that that is that. And I I, I have this exact same. <laughs> memory because my parents are the same way but carry on yeah so monstrous dictionary unabridged and we would be growing up side story where i'd be growing up uh what's that word mean get the dictionary we'd have to yep. go to the hallway get the dictionary bring it in we'd have to stop dinner or whatever we're doing open it up read the word read the definition do the phonetics and and at the time, I'm like, oh, geez, Ma, would you just shut up? With it? But I'll tell you what, we did it every single time. And it's amazing how your vocabulary will grow. 
Use it in a sentence. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, sorry for that departure. No, well done. Point being, um, I had to look a few of these words up because this thing is so dense. It's a dense bitch, girl. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, sorry, that was completely uncalled for. Um, <laughs> but there, sorry. Uh, I told you when you came on, I said, dude, you just better tighten up because we're going to have some fun here. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Here's the third point. I had three points for you. I do everything in threes. Yep. At last, and it's going to sound kind of fluffy because I spent time working on this sentence so that I can be as ex specific as you are with your creation. The humanitarian and ecological commentary that lies just under the surface as context is what I'd call quietly profound and deeply thought-provoking. Well done. Just drop, drop the mic right there. Just drop it. That's it. Done. <laughs> because I thought, again, back to my point, I thought, oh, I know where this is going. Yeah. But when you realize that post-apocalyptic thread through it, it makes you, it grabs you by the throat and says, kind of, if we don't straighten up and fly right and do something about the current state, it isn't going to be here for us or for our generations to come. Yeah. And the grand scheme of things is what I wanted to do here. So my background is in paleoenvironmental studies. I have an archaeology background. Uh, I have a bachelor's in archaeology and a master's degree in anthropology. And I've uh, studied and they're called phytoliths and I studied them in, in Idaho. And so what phytoliths are is plants suck up silica from the soil with the water that they 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 take up. And certain types will deposit silica around their cells. And when the plant dies, that silica body is left in the soil and it can last for a couple hundred thousand years. And so what you can do is you can go back through, extract this from the soil and kind of infer from the plant communities that were there what the environment was doing. And from that too, you can kind of tie in the human aspect from it. So my master's degree is uh, thrillingly titled the, the Late Pleistocene, Early Holocene Phytolith Record of the Lower Salmon River Canyon in Idaho. And what I was doing there, looking at the last 20,000 years, trying to figure out how plant communities were changing and how people were reacting to it. So this is a long way to get back to your point. What I was trying to do is encapsulate the last 200-ish thousand years of, of modern human history, Homo sapiens history, and tie that into how we've been interacting with, with the world around us or the world that we are in, I think, is a better way to put it. So through the story, even though the story takes place just over a couple days, what I've tried to work in there, uh, the river becomes time the bear stands for nature. So everything has a second meaning for it if you do care to go and look. But the other thing too is that I don't want to sit here and dictate how people read a book. So grand right. scheme of things is should you choose to read it just as a page turning thriller, hopefully you get a kick out of that. But if you do want to dig deeper and start looking in, uh, I was very interested in, in time and just our consistent, our being humanity's consistent involvement in the world that we live in. Well, and interestingly enough, there is a subtextual theme of time throughout the whole thing in tiny little moments. 
they're always referencing how much daylight is left to be able to get to a certain point. Um, the the tracker on that the the character is carrying gives us proximity to how close the bear is. The um, poppy at the begin near the beginning and middle of the story is referencing uh, how much time it would take to get up the river and down. Yeah. And this is all by noises and air and and I'm like. It's almost like I, I hearken back to my days in the Boy Scouts when we had to learn all the, you know, if you're thrown in the middle of nature with nothing but, you know, three or four elements in your pack. With your Swiss Army knife, yeah. How do you survive? And that's that's kind of how this guy makes me think, you know, how is re- living through the that moment. Yeah. Well, and even there's there's one line at the very beginning that I think kind of sets that whole tone in time as well. And it's uh, he's talking about a baby mammoth that uh, they chipped out of a, a glacier. Yeah. And he said the baby mammoth was, you know, three years old, but also 13,000 years old. Yeah. And it's that kind of duality that I was kind of tapping into there. So, All right, let's take a short break and we'll be back with more Brad Summer right here on the Thriller Zone. Stay with us. David Temple here with a question. Do you love audiobooks? Yeah, me too. Do you love giveaways? Avanti Centre, author of the international best-selling Van Ops thriller series, has just released an award-winning standalone, Cleopatra's Vendetta. Critics are raving, calling it dangerous, intoxicating, rare, and action-packed. To celebrate, my friend Avanti is giving away an audiobook version of Cleopatra's Vendetta and the latest audiobooks from James Rollins and Steve Barry. Just use the code THRILLERZONE for bonus entry points. If you'd like to enter, head over to vanops.net. That's V-A-N-O-P-S dot net. Enter today and good luck. Your host, David Temple here. Hey, before we get back to the show, I thought I would throw in this one quick note I have had authors approach me who want to actually advertise on the show. And I'm like, that's cool. I love that idea. I mean, think about it. We feature the best thriller writers in the world. You're one of the new up-and-coming thriller writers in the world to be. And you have a book coming out. Our rates are super reasonable. (laughs) We're easy to work with, as you know. And we all want to work together to make success for all of us. Just reach out to us here at The Thriller Zone at thethrillerzone at gmail.com. Let's talk rates. Let's talk details. Let's do something together in the new year. I think you'll like it. Now, back to the show. The best thrillers, The Thriller Zone. And now, back to the show. So... Ben and Poppy are having this conversation. He's just been shot and outrunning the bad guys, and he's holding up for a while to recover. And uh, he says to Polly, and she says, uh, they're talking about, I'm not going to go into the whole deep thing. She goes, I was young and dumb like you. Watch the water tables drop, the dirt turn sour, the plastics pile up, and on and on. It was all in tiny increments, each seemingly manageable, but together, ecological exhaustion, they called it later. So I figured if humanity was a problem and the problem could be fixed by losing humanity, I thought it would be best if I removed myself from the equation. For some reason, that paragraph grabbed me because it it gives you a little bit of a bitch slap as to, well, if you, you know, if you keep going the way you're going, yeah. this is what's well, going to happen. 
And hopefully this book is a bit of a bitch slap because I think we've uh, we've kind of lost our way in the discussion of, of you know our involvement with with our natural world. Um, there's a lot of points throughout the story that the original editor uh, was tapping on, saying, "Oh, this is a really cool uh, way to show you know the, the ecological degradation that's going on. Uh, you know, wouldn't it be horrifying if this happened?" And I would have to say it's actually happened. And yeah, like one in particular, yeah, well, he, he tapped on the, the white nose fungus in the bats and that comes up later in the book. And it's, it's just a, a snippet. Uh, uh, but it's, it's very easy to think that this is something that's going to happen in the near future. But I kid you not, probably three quarters of, of what you're getting shown in the book it has already happened or is currently happening. So. So it's it's an interesting uh, take because I think part of the problem with the the book, if there there's uh, an overarching problem that I've run into, is nobody really knows where to place it on a bookshelf. Yeah, and I think that I think that's a good problem to have, um, but it makes it hard because a lot of people go into a story with a preconceived idea of I am going to be reading a you know a thriller, a romance, what have you, and 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 they bring a lot of the genre baggage with them. Um, but I think it's good to get a book occasionally that breaks that. So, yeah, and this this begs two 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 ideas popped into my head. See if I can g- get them both. One uh, one is this: this weekend I was watching this story, maybe sixty minutes or something, about this guy. We're talking about all the plastics in the world, and we're watching this this terrible, not a documentary, some kind of a news story. And for some reason, plastics haunts me all the time. I just look at all the plastic around me. I'm like, oh, my God, how can we possibly dissolve of this? And this guy has come up with a way to make this uh, packet, which looks like plastic from seaweed. And he's figured out a way to treat, create this compound where you could t- take seaweed from the ocean, which is easily and rapidly replenishable yeah. and, and, and mix it in with something to then become this plastic thing and as a, as a vehicle or a conduit for different materials. And I was just like, my mind was blown. I'm like, this is the kind of thinking we should have. And so that my listeners don't sit here and go, oh, what is this, uh, PBS all of a sudden? But (laughs) it's the things that bug me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a more interesting question even beyond that is, is what impact will that have? Because any kind of existence causes causes impact. Right. And so, you know, say you, we already have a biodegradable plastic in corn, but that takes a lot of energy, takes, uh, you know, food off of people's tables and on and on and on. Um, so we have these wonderful and very innovative solutions, but, and we always say, hey, this is great. But I think the question that we should be asking more is what's the next step beyond that? What if we do start harvesting seaweed, uh, you know, is, Which is, is that the ocean? Oh, yeah, exactly. Because the seaweed, you know, that's a lot of lungs of the ocean. It's it's habitat for a lot of fish and, and you know, sea creatures and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's great that we can do this to replace what we already have. That is obviously, you know, a, a major concern. But we need to look two or three steps beyond even that, which as a group, we don't seem to be doing. So. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. So. I got a question. Having studied both archaeology and anthropology, which is fascinating to me, I, I don't know that I certainly don't have the bandwidth to do that, but that's kind of cool. It not only feeds this story, but it challenges our readers, I think, to uh, who hasn't studied such to consider, you know, how our actions today. And this is what we've been saying, but how this is what's so unique. You're reading this story for entertainment, but I could not help but be um, dual minded through the whole thing. And, and I don't 
that doesn't happen often for me. I, I'm, hey, thrill me, man. Let's get through this <laughs> rock and roll. Uh, that is so intellectually stimulated, and I feel absolutely profound. But to be able to have them both going simultaneously. <laughs> I'm just, I have the image of you sitting there reading the book doing that. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> I am not bipolar. Yes, you are. No, I am not. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Anyway, I'm just haunted by what the generation is living by. Here's, but here's another thought I was left with about how delicate our world is as it's becoming harder. And I mean, tougher. And what I mean is we seem to be becoming more, uh, becoming more callous to the reality of how we're treating the planet that, and those, those are actually challenging, you know, our existence itself. But let's go back to the story. And let's talk about the main character. And I would just love to know this. We're talking about Ben. And I don't want to be Mr. Tree Hugger here. It's just to, I really no. want people to walk away with the thing of, you know, we need to slow down and just look at the way we do things. Because waste is, I think, my wife and I talk about this constantly, just the vast amount of waste we have. And just, do you need everything? you? I mean, do you really need all of that constantly? But let's go yeah. back to Ben. Let's talk about yeah. Ben and and how you see Ben as a person and how you see his evolution from the beginning of the story to the end without giving anything away, but just that the, this, he's such an intense and wonderful character. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's the trick is, you know, how to talk about it with actually giving, without giving any of the, the, the twists away. Um, ben is tired. I think Ben, Ben is an idealist. Um, he, he, is constantly trying to deal with with just what's become of the world and and, and and it's I never want to talk about this book or any of the characters in it like it's a downer because it's not intended to be you know this brow beating lesson of you know hey be better and, and you know yeah. and and do all this extra stuff that you you might not be able to do I think the question that Ben deals with all the way through is is similar to the question we were chatting about earlier is just how do we do better um it's i think we have to or ben has to come to an acceptance that that our existence does have an impact on the world period you cannot change it you cannot stop that so you have to have a thoughtful impact and i think that's that's primarily where Ben is driven, um, he he starts off very conflicted. Once when he's confronted with his challenge throughout the book, he does not immediately rise to it heroically. He has to work his way through it. Uh, of which a character you mentioned, Poppy, um, definitely helps him out with. Uh, he's very much a reluctant hero, um, but but he was also he was a character that I think was like his main drive through is to. When you're writing a story, any main character has the ability or you want that character to have the ability to become your reader. You want your reader to drape that character in empathy and and picture themselves there. So I think through Ben, uh, I wanted Ben to be a challenge to the reader to have these same thoughts that Ben has uh, all the way through. So high level, yeah. that's that's what Ben is without giving away anything. So. Yeah, and you didn't. And, 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 and this is not, I want to be real crystal clear. This is not heavy handed. This is, you don't sit here and you're, you're not, you know, you're not trying to channel live no. your life this way. It's not that I'm just saying no. it challenges you and you don't, I want to say you don't even realize you're being challenged to think that way because that's assuming that I am omniscient, which I'm not really. Yeah. Um, no. 
but it's just, it's, it's a great, um, uh, byproduct. I'll say that, but here, here's a question. What, what do you hope? And maybe you just said it right there, but I'm going to maybe put a finer point on it. What do you hope your readers will take away from this book besides the great thrilling ride that it is? The page turning aspect is an awesome part of it. But what I hope the takeaway is, is, um, is just, is it's extra thought. And it's, I think with, with a lot of our discussions in, in the Western world in particular on, on climate change and, and the impacts we're having on, on the world, um, a lot of thought is actually not thought. It's ideology. We all fall into this, you know, with us or against us kind of mentality. Uh, you know, you're driving an internal combustion engine, you're a horrible person, you have to drive an electric vehicle. And it's like, it's not that simple. And it's not as simple as let's all stop climate change. You absolutely can't, period. There's there's no way. And even anthropogenic climate change, we had two years worth of shutdown. And, and effectively, it did nothing for us uh, as far as our, our climate fight. It did. The particular the particulate matter disappeared quite quite happily, but a lot of industry, you know, we we didn't go back to the to the levels that we're trying to reach. Uh, so I think the takeaway is is just more thoughtful uh, discussion about it, and yeah. and with discussion as well, not not uh, you know not constantly shouting and 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 cheering on one side or the other. Right. Like actually, go back to true thought over ideology and discussion over, over grandstanding. So nicely put. So impressive. Hey, there's a lot of great blurbs on here. Uh, I'm a big mm. fan of blurbs. Uh, my buddy, PJ Vernon. I love that guy. Um, <laughs> Max, he, he was one of my first guests on the show. He, he lives a few blocks away. I'll get away. Dead serious. So Please. very nice fella. We actually, we critiqued each other's work once every once in a while. So Please send my love. I, that guy is just, I love his energy anyway. So he's on here. He's talking, yeah. he calls it heroinly tense and cerebral. I love that. But my favorite and, and for folks who go, I'm, you know, I'm getting close, Dave. I'm thinking about buying this book and, and picking it up. Well, Tim Levin, who New York times bestselling author of Eden. Yeah. This one, this one will, a beautiful tale of hope in the face of hopelessness. Extinction is a haunting nightmare of the future and a lyrical love song to nature. I mean, can you get better than that, Tim? You can't. And that's, that's what I really want listeners to take away. You get, you get, you get thrills, you get great character study, you get beautiful writing. I mean, come on. And then you get, some thought provoking out of it. So, um, yeah, it's a tri trifecta, a four quadrifecta, a quadrifecta. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I do have a, as we kind of start to wrap up, I do have this question because as I was doing my homework, uh, so this book, you know, is available now shortly or, uh, yeah, mostly, so yeah. So, but here's the thing. So imperfections was uh, 2012 fishbowl, 2015, um, why so long between fishbowl and here, if that's not a silly question? No, that's a fantastic question. And I think uh, there's there's many answers to it, but the, the simplest ones are, uh, one, it's every book is so different from the next. It's, it's hard to have a publisher have a decent success and then you give them something that's 180 degree different. 
So the marketing side of things kicks in, I think. Uh, I actually wrote four books. This was the fourth one between Fishbowl and now. Um, so the grand scheme of that is like it takes, as you know, takes a little time to write a book. So, you know, there was there was a lot of um, pressure to the follow-up to Fishbowl too. Like that one was picked up around the world, option for film, uh, you know, has several language translations, several translations of audiobook and what have you. Um, and the advice I was given for how to write a follow-up, the advice given to me was, we want that same thing, but more. <laughs> so... <laughs> And when you ask for clarity, you get a shrug and it's, uh, yeah, you know, the same, but more, just more. Yeah. Uh, so I failed to do that. So I had to go and reinvent myself over the following seven years. And then plus you throw in all the mayhem that was happening in the industry through 2020 and 2021 and timelines start stretching out even longer. So, so grand scheme of things is just so happy to have this book out and so happy to have it with, with Blackstone as well. They've been fantastic to work with all the way through. Um, yeah. And who knows the next one? I've got two on the go, very much trying to find extinction, but more. <laughs> but in the yeah. same same breath, I also want to do what I want to do. I don't want to write the same book again and again and again. So. No. And, and this is this is a really great point. And I, I beg your uh, insights on this, because now I talk to a lot of different people and I'm thinking of particular. The first one pops into my mind is Mark Graney. Mark Graney has the gray man. Mark Graney, for all practical purposes, has yeah. written primarily The Gray Man. So here's my question. You find a guy who finds the niche and he and he pummels it and it's a rocket success and they say, give me more of that. OK, yeah. that's easy to understand. However, if you're a guy, now, then I'm talking, then I'm thinking about somebody like, um, J. Todd Scott, who has one series um, DEA. And then all of a sudden he goes, Hey, I'm going to go do something. I'm just flock. smiling. Cause, cause the, uh, yeah, the flock interview was my favorite of that. <laughs> cause it was just, you guys were just all over the place having a great time. So it was well, good. Yeah. He's a wonderful guy. And, yeah. and, and, and we, we went down this rabbit hole of, okay. I, and I really want to make sure I'll walk away with this because especially, I mean, I'm a self pub guy. I'm not in your category territory yet but you know i don't um, see it as hierarchical myself well thank you you're very good <laughs> my point is though there's a couple of things first of all oh yeah i want that but different okay i yeah. don't understand that i want that but more okay well i understand that about equally as well so people are asked, well, if you find a hit, you want to just keep recreating the hit there are people who do that and are good at that and i'm like okay cool me personally I got so many friggin' ideas on any given day that I could write 10 different things in one year and they would all be nearly totally opposite. Yeah. So back to your business, how do you go to your guys who happens to be WME, only the maybe the oldest and the biggest agencies in the entire free world, which I got a question about that, and say, yeah. okay, well, this right here, you know, imperfections, that's one thing. Oh, we want more of that, but different. Okay, well, here's fishbowl. Oh, okay. Ooh, whoa. That's, <laughs> we want more of that, but different. You come up with uh, extinction. Well, we want more of that, but different. How does one I, I, 
really wish I had a, an answer for you because then I would know as well. And there probably wouldn't have been seven years between books. And I hope there's not going to be seven years between as well. Uh, what I can say, like I can commiserate and just say, hey, yeah, I totally understand that there is there's definitely a marketing side to this as well. And, and an author does have to hold true to their, their artistic practice and their voice. And you can do that 100%. Uh, but you can't expect someone to invest a lot of time, effort, and money into making what you just made up a reality to try and get out there onto people's bookshelves. You can't expect them to pick it up just because you think it's awesome. So like the grand scheme is I always am going to lead toward lean towards what I want to, to do. And, um, you know, of course I, I think my primary duty is to a reader, not necessarily, you know, a publisher, a marketing person, what have you. Uh, but in the same breath, a publisher, their duty is also towards a reader. So if you can, somehow align regardless of what your previous hits were and what you hope your future hits will be. If you can somehow align that you are both working to give the reader an amazing story. And then as an author, that's what you have to produce. And if you can produce that, a publisher will recognize that you have, you know, an alignment with that one point, which is the reader. So, so grand scheme of things, like the, there's one I'm working on now, I'm working on two. One is, is this like sprawling 80 year family history. And the other one is, uh, it's going to be a, a, a sci-fi thriller, which takes us in a million years into the future of, of what's become a humanity. Uh, and those are two, again, two very different things. And I haven't told, you know, my agent this, but you know, if she listens to this, uh oh. <laughs> but 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 you know, back to that point, WME has been been outstanding too because uh, I'm very lucky to have fallen in with an agent who very much understands that process and and actually has had discussions at length with me about how I function as a writer and trying to you know align that with the the more business side of things. So she she's fantastic. So. Okay, well, <clears throat> great answer. For fear of sounding like Captain Obvious, I have to ask, how thrilling is it to be with the aforementioned WME, which is William Morris Endeavor? Uh, yeah. it's, ch it's changed a few times, but it's been like the eight, late 1800s. They came; they were the one of the first. Yeah. Anyway, my point being, how does how how thrilling does that is that feel, and how does that happen? I mean, this that's top. I think it's top of the heap, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. No, it is. And, you know, I'd, I'd agree whether it's not anyway, because I've had such a great experience with them. So, yeah. um, no, it's, it is absolutely mind blowing. And the thing is, is that, you know, when I started off writing, I never would have expected getting an agent, period. And, you know, then to be able to land with WME and especially the, the literary agent I'm with has been just, you know, it doesn't seem real. So, yeah. you know, you, you kind of sit there and you can just have your mouth hanging open and you shake your head or else you just kind of shrug and go, well, I guess this is how the world works Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, I guess it does. So, um, and, and how we came about is just through the way any author gets a, an agent for the most part is again, agent is also aligned with, with wanting to have the best story they can for, for a reader. And they recognize that they're a conduit between the writer and, and the, uh, the publisher. And if we're all working towards that similar goal, then, you know, it will fall into place. And, and I have, you know, 
no secret insider connections or anything like that. This was truly, but I think this is encouraging because this is truly just a guy sitting in Calgary writes a book. Somebody else recognizes that, hey, this could be pretty awesome and and puts their entire machine behind it. So, But you said one really crucial key thing that I heard loud and clear about four paragraphs back and the gist of it being, I wrote the book I wanted to write. Yeah. And that's oh, yeah. one, it's a, it's a thing that I hear often from authors who really have put the time in. And, yes. and if you go back and you, you know, which we haven't even gotten to yet, my very last question, you know what the last question is, what's the best piece of writing advice you can give my listeners, which I want you to answer in a second, but okay. how many times do we hear, uh, David, uh, you got to write the book you want to read. Yeah. They may not <laughs> well, do that, it in that accent or that voice, <laughs> but, uh, but there's going to be many different iterations of that for sure. And, and I think like I, if you were to break down that piece of advice, it's actually two pieces of advice. So, and, and I think those two pieces of advice are, um, every, Buddy who writes knows uh, write what you know. To me, that's the absolute worst piece of advice. I agree. Uh, you should know what you write. I, I think you have to really fall into method writing, as as authors fall into, or sorry, actors fall into method acting. Yeah. Uh, for this book, I went out and took up marksmanship. Never had you know fired at a target before, and because there is quite a bit of, you know, gun action in this book, I wanted to be able to know what that's about. Uh, ruined every movie for me for months and months and months because it's a lot harder than it looks in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the other thing that that one Southern voice told you there, I think, uh, <laughs> is, is also you have to find your authorial voice. Yeah. And so... That to me is bad advice as well. You have to find the right voice for the work that you want to do. Um, so the voice that I use in Extinction as a narrator is completely different than, you know, Fishbowl or Imperfections. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, it's kind of a cheat because I'm, I'm doing two, but they wrap into that one. Write what you want to write. Uh-huh. For sure. Well, and, and, and if I can, if I can do I guess I can do this. It's my show. Um, mm. I never, I hardly ever talk about my books and my books. Uh, you know, Let's hear. So, it. Uh, and that is this. Someone said to me once, I, I, wa I wanted to try to discover what it, what it would be like being a female detective working the third shift in the Hollywood division homicide. Right. I'm just. It was one of those thoughts. This right. was pre pre Michael Conley's character, and I thought. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a woman. I don't know if you can tell that or not. I'm not a woman. So I check, uh, yeah. I'm not a cop check. Never been one check. Don't know a thing about homicide except what I see on TV check. Okay. But I'm like, well, give it a shot. What the hell? So I wrote yeah. the book that I wanted to write and I had a hell of a lot of fun doing. Matter of fact, I did two of them. Yeah. Now have they sold? Hmm, I don't know. I wrote them and I never really quite frankly spent a lot of time pushing them. That's my fault. Here's my point. There, are, I've got about four different things that I got going right now. Plate spinning, as my wife and I call it, and <laughs> each one of those plates are completely different. And if I went to find an agent like you, a superstar, a rock star agent like yours, 
or, and or a publisher who really said, you know, give me the goods, then, yeah. you know, they may look at me and go, okay, one, two, three, four, they're completely different. Or they may go, oh, I love the fact that they're all different. Yeah. I'm not a really huge fan of being a huge rule follower. Uh, as you and I get to know each other, you're going to really realize that really yeah. fast. And I think it's probably because I'm brought up as a PK. So when you're brought up, uh, you know, preacher's kid and you're told what to do all the time and exactly how to do it, you tend to go, you're rebelling. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple of phrases, but I do try to keep this show kind of clean family, but I think you can read, <laughs> read between the lines. It involves hand gestures. Um, yep. <laughs> My point being, and I don't want to belabor the point, but I love the fact that you say that because I hear the, fr I've heard that phrase for 10 years now, as I've been studying this writing world for about 10 years, write what you know. And I'm like, but okay. Um, but how about if I'm really, really interested in the interworkings of a homicide detective or yeah. in my latest book, it's a, it's a, <laughs> if you're, you still with me, you still got a couple more minutes. Of course. All right. I got all day. So I've got a, uh, a, a prison warden who is just a real asshole. Yeah. Um, and he happens to also be a cannibal. So, um, <laughs> which is weird. So do you know anything about either of those at personal experience? I, I, <laughs> I actually don't, <laughs> but, but you know, the point that you're heading towards is the, uh, I think, you know, if you were to only write what you know, it, it would be a very, very barren art form. Uh -huh. uh, but I, I think the grand scheme of things is, is you know, uh, and I don't know you well enough to know that you're not either a warden or haven't been or a cannibal. But the grand <laughs> scheme of things is, is I think that if you can convince yourself and a readership that you know what you're talking about, then you've done your work. That's yeah. It. Yeah. hundred percent. And to use the same analogy that you referenced a second ago, um, I did several years uh, in film and television. I played a detective in one show. I played a, a, a former military sniper in another film. I played a uh, husband in another one. And I didn't know anything about those roles at the time. But I'll right. tell you what, I, I, I persuaded the... Um, producers to believe it for the audition which booked me which got the gig which made the yeah. film which made me money so yeah well and then again like the the final product is is there your viewership or here your readership yeah. uh if if you can immerse them and convince them that this is the thing uh then then you've done your job 100 yeah. percent. well yeah. So once the, I feel almost like it's been a little bit of therapy, Brad, thanks for letting me get on your couch. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. We'll fluff the pillow up afterwards and it's all good. <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's important to have these kinds of chats because the grand scheme is, is like I say, in, unless, unless authors reach out or have discussions or, you know, listen to podcasts, what have you, yeah. uh, it can be quite uh, you're flying blind all the time when you're writing you're, you're never sure you, you put a lot of work and effort into making a story happen you're never even sure when you type the end if it's going to work and to have somebody through the way or just have various discussions through the way can help out immensely so yeah it's uh we were out with to dinner with some friends last night and this 
conversation came up and it was about the fact that writer, isn't it interesting? And, and my wife and I are both very, uh, outgoing, gregarious people. Yeah. Um, mine from, uh, just being the way I brought up and her, she's yeah. just a delightful, you'd love her. And we're talking about how so many authors can often be, this is a metaphor, folks, can be like a little gopher. They go underground, they write their book, they spend a year doing it or whatever. They come up, they pop their head and they're like, hey, let's do some promotion. Dun, 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 dun. Read my book. Yay. <laughs> and then they go back underground and they're on their way again. Well, there are both sides of the coin there. There are people mm -hmm. who are some uh, not so socially uh, prolific and yep. others like yourself that are just dandy and then some. So uh, I think it's interesting that you, a couple of things here, you have to be reclusive in one sense to be able yeah. to go get quiet enough to create these vivid wo worlds that some authors create kind of like this extinction. It's and very well put because the, the quiet part and the, the, the slow thought is required, I think. And you nailed it there for sure. So number two. And number two is then when you come out, you're, you know, you're so thrilled that somebody gives one eighth of a shit about your book that you're yeah. just so excited that anybody wants to read it. And all you've got to do is walk in any Barnes and Noble or fill in the blank. Warwick's is my sponsor. Love and it. you look at the vast array of books and you could become rather jaded and or depressed, yeah. if not suicidal, and go, how can I compete <laughs> in that world? Yeah, well, and I, I hope not the latter, but but uh, in North America, I think the week this book came out, there was four thousand other books that came out that week. So, but the grand scheme is is that you're not you're not gunning for every reader out there. You want readers who are going to connect with your work and 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 engage with it. Like this is all this is what we're doing is having a conversation. A book is equally as much a conversation. It just yeah. takes a lot longer. It's a lot slower. It's it's you know here's an idea. What do you think of that reader? And, and we have this world that we're working into now where readers can actually reach back and say, Hey, that was crap or that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> which is kind of, which is kind of interesting too, because, you know, you can see, you can see how your work is landing as well, which, you know, I would say probably 30 years ago, you probably couldn't, uh, short of going out to Warwick's and doing a book, book launch kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. And you know what? I, I, uh, by the way, side note, I think you and I could probably sit here and talk literally. <laughs> we could pull a Joe Rogan and talk for three and a half hours. I'll go grab a bottle of scotch. Let's, let's go. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> if I could only transport myself, I mean, if I had the budget uh, to be able to fly up to Calgary and sit down in that lovely little library nook and just do this, I mean, God. Bless It'd be fun. Yeah. But Bottom line is we're doing the craft that we have chosen. We love it yes. or we wouldn't do it. If you, if exactly. you are, af yeah. And if you are afraid or timid or feel like you can't beat the odds or you don't like bad reviews, yeah. then go do something else. Yeah. Well, and I think the grand scheme is too, is expect those things to come. And, and I think another great thing is if you are toiling away on your first or your 30th novel is, is regardless of, of what's going on in the world, if that's a book that, that a reader will uh, trigger to, then it will definitely find a home somewhere. Yeah.
You know, a lot of people, I have a lot of conversations both on and off the microphone and they're like, "Eh, I want to be the next Dean Coons. I want to be the next Jack Carr. I want to be the next fill in the blank. And I'm like, how about be the next you? Yeah. Or be the first you. Be the first you is rather, that's even better. Well put. Thank you very much. Uh, that, first of all, and enjoy the journey. And, you know, because doesn't it really start? I mean, it's funny. I had this epiphany this week talking to my wife. I said, uh, isn't it interesting that I've picked not one, not two, but I'm in my third career, all of which are the toughest possible careers you could ever imagine. The most competitive, the hardest to succeed and the longest gestation to success radio acting and writing. Well, there's probably a fourth part to that, which is also there's there's no playbook on how to do either any of those things. There's no one way to, you know, get into radio, no one way to get into acting, likewise no one way to get into into writing as well. So, I don't know, is it is it something within you? Must be. Well, I said, uh, does that make me a gambler? And I, you would never find me at a craps table to save my <laughs> life. I'm, I don't, I don't gamble that way. But I'm like, when I then I was talking about, isn't it interesting? I'm a gambler. I'm a, I'm a hardcore gambler yeah. for crying out loud. And I didn't even know it. But so I don't know. Maybe it's the I. Maybe part You're, of it is what I was going to say. You're waging time, though. Your wager is time and uncertainty, as opposed to straight up money. I know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Great point. I never did any of it for the money. Right. And I think that's a great key. Thank you, Brad. That's a great yeah. takeaway because uh, like radio, I remember I, I wanted to be right in radio at 15. I'm like, yeah. I know exactly what I want and how to get there. And I'm like, I do it for free. And I remember yeah. when I hit the top and I'm making very money. well. <laughs> yeah. And I go, I would have done, look around. I would have done this for free. Right. I yeah, think yeah. that's part of the key, don't you? I mean, it like, is. Look, I look totally at, do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, mean, I think if you have expectations otherwise, you probably you probably wouldn't have any longevity in either of those three careers. Uh, like I know in in writing, like one thing that is is obviously clear now is that uh, any kind of writing career is not a linear thing. It's not a straight line up one to the next to the next to the next. Right? There's there's a lot of bumps along the way, but that's also part of the fun of it too. So. So, yeah, I think you're a gambler. I am, too. And we're not waging cash. We're waging our time. And time is a valuable thing, too. You can't make more of it. But putting it forward, that's something that brings joy. That time for me sitting and writing a book. Yeah. And it's so funny. I'm working on a nonfiction right now that revolves around that very thing. And that has to do with just really being presently aware of the time we have how little we have in front of us and how to best utilize what we do well with more and more draw to it as well and i think what's kind of interesting is you know and looking at time uh i think human beings register time on benchmarks uh you know time seems to be speeding up uh, every year that passes. And I think that's because there's fewer and fewer benchmarks. I'm no longer learning to ride a bike or, you know, what have you, but the, right. now the benchmarks is, you know, the next book comes out in three years kind of thing. So that time compresses and then it expands when the book finally comes out. Um, but yeah, uh, first off, good on you for, for venturing into nonfiction. That's something that I've dabbled in with essays, but other than that, that's, that's a tough thing. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think the other thing too, is there's so much demand being put on us right now as far as distractions, but also there's this hyper competitiveness going on. And I was thinking of this the other day, uh, there's a great book by Lewis Busby and it's called the yellow lighted bookshop came out in the early two thousands. Uh, and it's, it's a bookseller's memoir. And the guy, and he's, he was in San Francisco area and he, he travels as a rep through California, what have you. And the guy just loves selling books. Fantastic memoir. But there's a paragraph in there where he goes, uh, books are slow. He says, you, it takes forever to write them. Uh, you go out and you buy one and it can sit on your shelf for years before you pick it up and you actually make a connection with it. Uh, so circling back to the point of, of your nonfiction is, is, the demands that we're putting on ourselves and particularly in reading is it's just bizarre to me. Like we're always doing reading challenges. Let's read more books next year. And this is probably the time of year, you know, this will be out around Christmas. This will be the time of year that uh, people are making their new year's resolutions. And, you know, all of the, the reading services out there are screaming, read more books. And it's like, how about you read books better? <laughs> yes. You now sl slow it, slow it down a bit. Find something. Uh, sit down and think about it. Don't go for the number. Go for the experience. And there's there's no way to no way to to quantify that. So, uh, but we're but we're being challenged too. Yeah, constantly. So, and, and I couldn't put that better. And that, I'm going to circle back to how we started the story, and that was. You know, you can't see, there's only one teeny skinny little uh, shelf of books behind me, but there's about six times that over here on this wall. Um, and it's this, you know, sometimes to prepare for the show, I'm, I'm flying through books because I, you know, etc. However, yeah. and I'm going to go back to this. This is one that you, and I, I would challenge you because it is, you said you, you called it 70,000 words, which I was kind of amazed at, but it's just shy of 300 pages, like 250 pages, which to me, this is like the perfect length for yeah. me because you feel like you can, it's, it's not insurmountable. Um, it is something that you want to digest like a vintage beverage, like I said earlier, and you want to take your time because there are nooks and crannies in your expose and your language. And it's just so beautiful and elegant that you, you want to sit there and uh, you know, you, there's a lot of river and Creek and water in this. And I, I grew up in the Blue Ridge mountains. So I know, that, mm. you know, we used to drop a leaf on the top of the hill and watch it just float down and watch how it goes around pools and around just for funs. Cause that's how bored we were. And, um, uh, or how little it took to, to entertain us. <laughs> and, and this is what that makes me think of. Yeah. No, and I think that's that's a fantastic bit of advice as to how to read it for sure. Yeah. So. Can I gloat any more about extinction, folks? I am blushing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, if you'd like to know more, go to bradleysummer.com and uh we call him Brad. You can call him Brad or Bradley. Read the book, Extinction. It's superb. It's on bookshelves now. We'll wait and see what is next. We don't it. I, I'm in no hurry. Isn't that great? I'm in no yeah. hurry, Brad. I think that's fantastic. I, I kind of am. So, well, <laughs> you you should be because yeah. your time sequence is different than mine. But I'm in no, I'm in no hurry. I want you to put out the best thing you possibly can so that I can slowly enjoy it. Working on it. I appreciate it. And do you want to throw any hints just for 
shits and giggles when maybe something new would be coming down the pike? Very happily. Very happily. I'll pop down and we'll go for the beer. Okay, sweet. Oh, well, this has been so much fun. I thank you. I thank you so much for your time. I've had an absolute blast and I appreciate you hosting. It's fantastic work. How much fun was that? Brad Summer, the book, Extinction. As you could hear from the show, I'm pretty excited about this book. Just a good, good read. We are this close to wrapping up 2022. And I think all that remains is our holiday special. Uh, I think it's going to be co-hosted by the lovely and talented Tammy Temple. Happens to be my wife. So hope you'll join us next week as we wrap up 2022 with The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.